Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast, where we exist so that way you can experience God. If you like this content, would you consider subscribing and joining our online community? That way you can get notified on each week's messages. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Good, good, good to see each and every one of you. I'm glad five of you are excited to be here. Hopefully the rest of you are by the time this service is over. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today. Uh, I want to say two quick things. One, I want to celebrate. Um, I had planned to say, and this is awesome, I had planned to celebrate that we had eight decisions for Christ last week in our church. Come on. That's worthy of celebration. And then I saw Skyla on this video, and I just want to say I love our teenagers, and Skyla is one of them that I'm just like so impressed with her leadership. This is a teenage girl that was just doing that, and uh, she has consistently just like blown my mind with what God is doing uh, in her life and the way she leads in our youth ministry. Uh, we, were, we had a missionary in the youth ministry. She, she attends our South Shore location. We had, a youth minis- uh, we had a missionary in our youth service um, I don't know what it was, three or four months ago, probably more than that, probably a while ago, but the missionary was there sharing, and, uh, and Pastor Johnny was down there at that point, and Pastor Johnny said, hey, does one of the teenagers want to pray for this missionary? And I'm like, Skyla stood up and started praying, and I'm like, is she 40? Has she been doing this for like 30 years? Like, it was, she was on fire and bold and articulate at the same time, and I'm like, dang, we need to keep an eye on this girl. So whoever put her in the announcement video, I'm just glad you did, because... That, that girl, I, I'm going to hire her someday and put her somewhere in our church. She's, she's something else. So. Uh, and, she, and, and especially in this day and age, man, she needs some accolades in, in, our, in our teenagers. So, so we'll celebrate that instead. So put your hands together for Skyla. <laughs> and then uh, along with that celebration, I just felt uniquely called to do this. I, I think we're going to do it next service too. Ada had this word coming in this morning that people were going to experience healing. Uh, if you experience healing, I, I've never done this before. But revival is now. Come on, somebody. I've never done this before, but I just feel uniquely impressed that we'll probably do this through all of our services today. If you feel like God is healing you during worship or during the service, or God healed you during, this, during worship and you want to announce it now, or during the service, just, just like wave at me and get your attention, because we want to take a second and, and celebrate that. So, so are you just practicing or are you actually waving? Come on. One healing already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so at any point in the message, just wave at me if you just feel like God touched me today. We got another one, two already. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Make sure you guys who are healed, make sure you come tell somebody so we can, we can keep track of what God's doing. I love that. Uh, but even during the message, I just feel like today, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's all the time, I don't know, but people are just going to be healed even while we're speaking during the altars. There's, there's just a, a, a spirit of healing that's going to be in the place today. Uh, real fast, before we do jump in the message to one more thing, uh, Arise Awards are this uh, Saturday. If uh, you volunteer somewhere in our church uh, and have volunteered last year somewhere in our church, this is for you. If you don't volunteer, you should, and then when you do volunteer, you'll be invited to the Arise Awards. Sorry you're not invited now, but this is for volunteers only. So if you volunteer somewhere in our church, make sure if you have not already gotten an invite that you find uh, one of the leaders, one of the staff, and we'll get you an invite. Uh, I think vast majority of everybody should have gotten it by now, but there might be a few slip through the cracks, and we always hate that. So Arise Awards is this Saturday if you volunteer somewhere in our church. Man. All right, so Ada and I were in Wyoming. My iPad sideways. Ada and I were in Wyoming for Christmas, as, as you uh, know. 
Sorry, we got something weird going on here. We were in Wyoming uh, for Christmas, as you are probably aware. And uh, while we were in Wyoming, we started watching these TV shows. My sister had been watching them. I'd never seen them. Of old abandoned houses that people were going into and, uh, and, and investigating. This house that you're seeing right here was a 17th century uh, house in France that a man bought and restored. It's a French mansion. And these people on YouTube, now don't hate me because what they're doing is illegal. They're not hurting anything, but don't hate me. But they go in these houses and they just like kind of sneak in. They don't break anything, but they'll, they'll find a way into the house if they can. And then they just video and kind of figure out the story of the house. They'll research it before. And so this is a 17th century mansion that was restored. And these, these shows are like super addicting. They're on YouTube. And uh, they're, they're super addicting. And we started watching one after another, after another, after another. This was one of them right here. And what you kind of find in these houses is that these people lived in the house and then something happened and they left. And so frequently when they left, however it was, for different reasons, everything was left intact. I mean, there's some of these houses sometimes you'll go and it's like the cereal bowl with the spoon and it's still sitting on the, on the, on the table in the, in the dining room and things like that. And it's, it's almost like they just suddenly vanished. This particular house, this, the story was that uh, the, the man had bought it and restored it. Uh, and then he, after he passed away, his kids have been fighting over the estate because he was very wealthy, obviously. His kids have been fighting over the estate for a long time, which led me to start thinking about this. I think that represents in a very real sense the state of the American church. It looks a lot like those abandoned houses, the abandoned churches. This is one that you're seeing right here that is literally abandoned. You have empty sanctuaries and empty classrooms that once were full of life, but the life has left the building, and the building is still there, but the life has left it. Baptism tanks that were once displayed images of new life that are now just sitting there abandoned, collecting dust. Vacant pews that once held people that were excited to worship the Lord, but now they're just vacant. Steeples that once marked a place of hope, now they often mark a museum to the past and what once was. That is the case of the American church. And just as life moved out of those homes and left it abandoned and left everything inside of it, so oftentimes it feels to me like life has left the American church so frequently because God moved out, but the church stayed. The life of the church left the building, but so oftentimes the people kept it up for at least a portion of time. I consider what William Booth said. He's the founder of the Salvation Army. He was a prophet in his time. When you read this quote, you'll see it. He said this. He said, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. The biggest thing I want you to see right there is in that first line, religion without the Holy Ghost. Spirit. We use this word revival and we say revival is now and the word revived means to bring back to life. If you revive a human body, you have a body who was unconscious or, or dying and you revive it, you literally bring it back to life. And when we talk about revival in the church world, we're talking about bringing a dead church back to life. Are you with me? That's what revival would, would mean. And, 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 and when that happens, it is always the place of the Holy Spirit. Can we get that back screen on? There's always the place of the Holy Spirit. And so we are revived, brought back to life as a church so that the life comes back into the body called the church. 
Make no mistake, just because there's an abandoned church, just because there's churches that are full of accolades and photos and religious artifacts and the life is not there, doesn't mean the life can't come back to it. That is what revival is. So don't get too dismayed right off the start of this message. Because the fact that there is still a body means that life can come back to the body. And when the Holy Spirit shows up and revival happens, we get reoriented to that. And God's presence is what brings life to the church. It's also, for that matter, what brings life to an individual. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But God's presence marks revival. God's presence marks revival. When we talk about revival is now, there are many definitions of what revival is. In fact, I I work in a lot of ecumenical groups, and they'll all have their own version of what revival means to them. To some, revival means means emphasizing healings or baptisms in water. For some, it's baptism in the Holy Spirit. For some, it's salvation. For some, it's right teaching. For some, it's certain gifts of the Spirit flowing all over again. But the one thing that stays the same in the midst of all revivals is that God's presence is there. God's presence marks revival. You can have different definitions of what we mean when we say revival is now, but the central thing that we all have to agree on, or at least is central to the idea of revival, is that God's presence is suddenly in the room in a tangible way, in a way that's thicker than it normally is, in a way that brings life back to the body, and that body sometimes is the church body. It's our our vision that that would be our kind of place. In fact, uh, one of the things that frustrates me the most, and everybody has different things. Uh, sometimes when I sit with people and we talk about the vision for their life, I ask questions like, like, what keeps you up at night? What frustrates you? What makes you so mad you'll stay up all night frustrated over it? When, when that question is asked of me, one of the things that frustrates me so handedly is a church without the presence of God. Because we can sing all the right songs, we can put all the right stuff up on the screens, we can say all the right stuff, we can attract people by some attractive teaching and stuff that helps you and is motivational, but you can also do every bit of that without the very presence of God. I say this in every time we have our our Next Steps meeting or the old Discovery class and we talk about our church's unique vision, it is all about experiencing God. Because in Acts 1, they did everything that the church was called to do. And prior to Acts 1, and from the time of Jesus laying hands on them, they were doing everything, the disciples, they they, they were teaching the word, it was the Old Testament at that time, in the the message of Jesus, they were teaching, they were praying for the sick, they were helping each other, they were giving, (coughs) they were serving, they were literally doing everything a church does in Acts 1. But yet, almost universally, it's agreed upon that the church begins in Acts chapter 2. That's the birthday of the church. And in Acts chapter 2, the only difference between Acts 2 and Acts 1 is God shows up. And what concerns me so deeply, and I share this in every Next Steps experience we have, is that sometimes it feels like we've gone back to an Acts 1 church in America. That we do all the right stuff. That we are doing good things. We are helping people sometimes. And, and we're singing the right songs. And we have the right accolades. We have the right stuff around the walls. We, we, we sing the right things. We're into the scripture. We have all that. But we are lacking the very tangible presence of God. And the presence of God is what brings life. And without it, we will be dead. And that's why at our church, we are, 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 are so so embedded in this idea. It's literally one of our core values and it's the foundational core value that we value God's presence. God's presence is the most important thing, period, period. Of all of our core values, if you want to get to the heart of heart of who we are, if God's presence doesn't show up, I quit. 
Because I'm not going to lead a country club. I'm not interested in just giving you good teaching. I hope we give you good teaching, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. And, our, and that's unique to us. God's presence is the most important thing, period. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And while every core value is core to us and central to us, this is the central core value. This is the number one value that God has to be in the room. Because when God's in the room, you have life. And when God's not in the room, you don't have life. It was interesting in that abandoned church that you just saw a video of, there was a banner on the wall that said something along the lines of God is life, but yet there's no life in the building. I 100% agree God is life, but it's not about agreement with that. It's about experiencing and inviting his presence to be in charge. We're going to talk at length about that this morning. But God's presence changes everything. In Exodus chapter 33, you can turn there if you would like to. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses has gone up onto the mountain. He's up on Mount Sinai, receives the Ten Commandments, having no idea that the children of Israel, his followers down below, are acting the fool and making a golden calf and all that's going on. He comes back down and he sees what's going on and he breaks the stone tablets that he had made and he is so irate. He is so frustrated. Every parent, come on, you know at least to some degree how Moses felt in that moment. You come home and you're like, I asked you to do one thing. And so he gets home and uh, gets, gets back down the mountain to his people, and, and they've messed everything up. He's like, Couldn't, I can't leave you for 40 days for crying out loud, man. Barely over a month. And he's frustrated. So, so this is a whole message unto itself that I'm not preaching. But when he's frustrated, what you find is that he runs to the tent of meetings, which was his place of prayer, which was the house of God's presence. Where do you run when you're frustrated? If you run to alcohol, that might help you for a moment, but it's not going to help you long term. If you run to a pill... If you run, okay, that's a whole other message. But he runs to the place of God's presence. And while he's praying there and being with God and hearing God face to face, this conversation goes on. And we find it right here in Exodus 33, verse 15 and 16, where he's talking to God and he's saying, I, I need you to go with me. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I want you to see this because this is central to who we are as a church. I have the same cry that Moses has. We are not moving forward if God's presence is not with us. We will stop and camp until God shows up, but we don't need to move forward without God being with us. And far too often in the American church, we are moving forward without God's presence. He says, I'm not moving without you. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And I love this line. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You know, one of the distinguishing marks, besides love, and that is the ultimate one, Jesus was very clear about that. I'm not taking away from that. But one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian is that you're going to walk in this world in the kingdom of God at the same time. You're going to walk in the manifest presence of God and have something more to offer than just goodwill and well wishes and oh, I'm just going to pray for you and never do. you got to be offering the very presence of God. Why was God's presence so important to Moses? Why is God's presence so important to us? What's the big deal? Well, first, let me give you three thoughts about it. Number one, if you're taking notes, God's presence brings life to the church. God's presence brings life to the church. Maybe I've already said this a little bit. But it's so important that we start there because a church with God's presence will have life. A church without God's presence will not have life. A church with God's presence will have a relationship with God. A church without God's presence will have a religion. 
And these are two very different things. And revival is simply an alive church. When I say revival is now, I am speaking over us that we are an alive and active and spirit-filled church. Come on. But it begs this question, why would a church go on without the presence of God? There's not a church in America that I would ask and say, do you want the presence of God? And they would say, no. Why would it go on without the presence of God? And I think this is key because we have to understand what's happened in America. Because what begins to happen over time is as you take your trust off of God and you put your trust on man, you slowly begin to lose God's presence without realizing you lost God's presence. You go from revival back into man-made forms. And man-made forms, they're not bad. You have your own wisdom, your own understanding, your own practices, your own procedures. You learn your own theology, your own doctrine. You learn these things. And none of those things are inherently wrong by any means. We need good leadership and practices in the church. But the greatest thing we can be as a leader is a good follower. If you are going to lead a church, you better be listening to God's voice and following him. We are always under shepherds inside the church. And so what happens is we start to lean on our own understandings. Don't get me wrong. You need wisdom. Proverbs is full of wisdom. Wisdom is a good, good thing. But we start to rely on ourselves rather than the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Our theologies and practices and procedures and doctrines and styles. People, I, I work with people all the time. Other churches, as, as, as you probably know by now, but I spend a lot of time, I was doing it yesterday, and a lot of time helping other churches grow. And they always want systems and procedures, and, and I think there's a good thing for that. And we give some of those things, and we help churches with some of those. But at the core of it, and this is what I'm always trying to teach them, what is God saying to you? Somebody asked me yesterday, they, they were asking about making goals for next year and how many, how many decisions for Christ should be our goal for next year. That was their basic question and my response back was, listen, you can come up with some goals on your own or you can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and say, God, what are you leading me to do? Because if you lose the leading of the Holy Spirit because you became such a good leader, you've lost everything. And it's so subtle. It's so subtle. But it happens all the time. And so we end up with great theology and practices and procedures that were great. We follow people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Wesley. I'm not discounting the revelation that those people had. I'm only saying that God is still speaking today and he is not done. And just as he spoke for those people in their era of how to do church and how to lead church and how to follow God, and it worked. Now we are still stuck a couple hundred years ago in other people's theology, other people's practice, instead of developing and continuing to grow on our own and what eventually happens is we replace the holy spirit with the holy bible i am not taking away from the holy bible if you know our churches we are not taking away from the word of god but you cannot replace the word of god with the holy spirit he is still active and alive and when we get away from god's presence we try to complete compete in the complete in the flesh what was started in the spirit and that's so oftentimes what happens to us in our individual lives and in the church world we started something in the spirit. God gave us a divine vision, a divine calling. And somewhere along the way, we got our own education and our own understanding. And we try to finish in the flesh what was started in the spirit. But I'm reminded, especially in the church world, that the psalmist would say, David would say, that unless the Lord builds the house, <laughs> come on, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You, you got to get this. Because I'm a big fan of of 
some of the giant conferences that go around. I know many of you won't know these names, but Art Conference and CMN Conference and these big conferences for church planters, and they'll give you every procedure, every policy, every step. These are your 10 steps to plant a church, and they'll walk you through every single step. I love those groups. I love those. But unless the Lord builds the house, those policies and procedures, those, those systems are good. But if God is not calling you to do those, then you've lost everything because you're building something that's your own. You're building an empire, not a kingdom. See, if we're not people of the presence, we eventually become people of the flesh. And when we're people of the flesh, we're forced to have a form of godliness but deny its power. Which is what 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 says. Talking about today, or I would say today, last days. It says there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, check. Lovers of money, check. Boastful, check. Proud, check. Abusive, check. Disobedient to parents, check. Ungrateful, check. Unholy, check. Uh, without love, check. Unforgiving, yeah, y'all can say check. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. <laughs> okay, listen to the fifth verse. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. We have a form. It's an abandoned building. Still got a steeple. Still got chairs, pews. Still got screens. Still got altars. Still got crucifixes. Still got whatever it is. We got a form of godliness, but we ain't got the power. Why? Because the life has left the building. The church becomes an abandoned building. Building. And it's so subtle, we don't recognize it's happened so frequently. Leonard Ravenhill says this. He says, we don't lack revival because we're ignorant. We lack revival because we're too self-sufficient. <laughs> Let that sink into you. That'll, that'll irritate you a little bit. Please don't take this too far because I'm not beating up on any churches that might be here or watching online. But the Christian buzzword that drives me crazy around the church world, our staff knows this very well, is the word Excellence. We stole it from the business world, which we do a lot of things, and sometimes the business world steals things from the church. But right, we want to do church with excellence. I, I do want to do church well. I think that's what excellence means, right? We want to do things to a high degree. We want to do things to a high standard. But we try to kill that word around here all we can because the second you give into this idea of excellence, what happens when the Holy Spirit is not excellent the way you call it? And there is a balance between doing things really well as best as you can and doing things by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because when God shows up, excellence kind of goes out the door. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying excellence goes out the door like you don't do things well. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like the spirit that says I have to do everything the best it can possibly be. And da, da, da. All of a sudden, all the programs have to be perfect. What happens when God shows up and it messes up your worship set? That's not excellent. What happens when God shows up and, and actually the power goes out, which shows up and it starts creating a miracle? That's not excellent. And oftentimes when God starts moving, you actually lose a level of excellence because of the move of God. When Azusa Street was happening, William Seymour would literally take his head and stick it inside the pulpit, which was an old shoebox, and he would stick his head inside the pulpit and pray for the whole service sometimes while people are praying and things are going on out here. The pastor sticking his head in a box and praying. That's not excellence. Nobody's looking at that and going, oh, wow, what a great message. You never even saw his face. That's not excellence. 
And I want to be careful, so don't beat up on churches that have excellence as a core value. I'm just saying if you're not careful, excellence can actually take you away from the moving of the Holy Spirit, which is what true excellence is. If God's here, that's all you need. I've been to churches that have nothing. I was just at a church that met under a tree. We're building the church for them, by the way. We, but I just was at a church a couple months ago that met under a tree in India. They have nothing, but God's presence is there. And then I've been to churches that have all kinds of stuff on the walls, and beautiful buildings and signs and lights and haze, that's the fog, and screens and sound systems and wonderful worship teams, and God's presence is not there. I've been in moments, don't, 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 don't look at me cross-eyed, just, just hear me, where people are singing what I would call Pentecostal songs about the presence of God and God moving, and look, been in moments, and I'm looking around going, nobody believes this. The people singing it, I don't really believe they believe it. Nobody, and I'm like, what, where is God in this? It's not the song. It's the presence of God in the song. You could have two different people sing the song. It can change everything based on the presence of God in the song. God's presence changes everything. And we got to be so cautious that we don't try to replace God's presence with the lights and the haze and the branding and the coolness and the cool t-shirts and, and all the stuff that we have. All those things are good, but they're not the most important thing. And I just want to encourage you if you're in this room and you're like, how do we fight for that here? I can tell you this has been my battle for 12 years here. Once a year or so, our, our staff will tell you, they'll start laughing because I will have a come to Jesus moment. Like you are losing your mind over that brand looking right instead of losing your mind whether God shows up. Our staff can tell you, right? If, if they're, like, they start laughing, Erica was just laughing. She's not even on staff. She's just married to somebody who is. Because <laughs> we'll have these moments because it irritates me and I become that, that, that person bringing us back. No, no, we got to be cautious. Somebody's got to bring us back. Who's bringing you back to this place that goes, God's presence is more important than my house? God's presence is more important than having the best decoration. God's presence is more important than having the best outfit. God's presence is more important than all of these things. It's all about God's presence. It's not looking cute. It's God's presence. And God's presence is the one thing that changes everything in our church. It's the one thing that changes everything at Arise. We will not go on without him. And revival reorients us to God's presence. Our church is built on God's presence. If he's not here, I don't want to be here. Uh, a consistent thing I hear, Pastor Ken alluded to it during the transition, a consistent thing that I hear when I'm talking to guests, and I'm like, hey, how was your, you know, I hope you had a good experience today. That's kind of my normal question. And I'll hear this over and over. Man, I just felt God's presence. Or if they're not believers, they'll say something like, like, there was something in that room. <laughs> That's actually my favorite. Because I have no clue. They're like, Something's going on here. I don't understand. I'm like, let's talk about that, you know. And they're sensing something. I love it. I'm just going to tell on you right now because you do, people do this like almost every Sunday. Somebody will come to me and they'll say, Pastor Brent, when you said da, 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 man, it touched me so deep. It changed my life. It, it encouraged me. It spoke to me. Whatever. They'll say that. When you said da, 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 da. And I'm standing out there. I'm going, yeah, awesome. Because I know I did not say da, 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 da. I got my notes. I can go back and watch it. I did not say those words. I didn't. Because you know what that is. When God's presence is in a room, all of a sudden he'll take my words, twist them to be exactly what you need to hear. To me, that's an, that's an image of what happens when God's in the room. 
This is why 1,000 people can leave our church on Sunday, 1,300 people, whatever that number, 1,200, could leave our church on a Sunday, and every one of you going, man, that message spoke directly to me. I can't speak to 1,300 people, 1,200 people, all you people online, a year later watching this online. No, it's the Holy Spirit that takes words, twists them to be what you need to hear, plants them in your ear, and you think I said them. I appreciate it. Holy Spirit gets all the credit. God gets all the credit, not me. It's the one thing that changes everything in our church. See, when God shows up, man, there were, there were two healings last week. One of them I thought was particularly cool in our South Shore campus. There, there's a lady, uh, she's only in her 20s. She's a young lady. She's relatively new to the church, but she's had multiple brain aneurysms, and it's affected her ability to walk, and she's been walking in extreme pain, and it's just really affected her because of the brain aneurysms. And, and she's down at the altar, and some of you will know Lori Skipper. Uh, Lori Skipper was praying for her at the altar, and God radically heals her. And this woman who has all this pain and trouble walking, this young lady, she starts jumping up and down and running around the room and shouting. Yeah. When that happens, nobody goes, hey, Pastor Brent's that good. Nobody goes, man, Pastor Pete's that good or Lori's that good the way she prayed for her. God gets the glory for those kind of moments. And that's what happens when God's in the room. It's bigger than just tickling our ears or making us feel good about ourselves. It's bigger than that. I want more than goosebumps and chills. I want more than shivers down my spine, man. I can get that from an Ed Sharon song. I need more than goosebumps. I want to be like Elijah calling fire from heaven. Come on. I want to be like Moses leading people and parting seas. I want to be healing people. I want to be casting out devils. I want to be killing giants with slingshots, and it seems impossible. I want to walk into fiery furnaces. I want lions to become my pillows. What would scare other people I just lay on? I want blind eyes to be opened. I want lame people to walk. That's, what I'm, that's the revival that I'm looking for. It's more than goosebumps. It's a house built on God's presence that when God shows up, life is here. It hasn't been abandoned. (laughs) We have to be people of his presence. As Christians, we have to be people of his presence. Point number two, if you're taking notes. God's presence not only brings life to the church, but God's presence brings life to the believer. The same way a church comes alive when God's presence shows up. You come alive when God's presence shows up in you. In fact, by definition, that's what salvation is. At the initial moment of salvation, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That God's presence would be deposited in you, and you would become a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it's his presence that gives you new life. God's presence brings life wherever it goes. And this is what it means to be born again. And once you, you need to hear this, because once you experience God's presence, we all know this, like that person that truly gets saved and they experience God's presence and they come alive, they're just hungry for more of God, right? Right? You need to hear this. It is unnatural not to be hungry for God's presence. As a Christian, if you're not a Christian, it's a whole different thing. But as a Christian, it is unnatural for you not to be hungering for God's presence. If you're not hungry for God's presence today and you are a believer, you might be sick. I'm not beating you up. I'm just being real with you. You know, Dr. Brent trying to help you out here. I'm a a, a doctoral candidate now. I'm not a student anymore. A candidate, according to my my university. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I need all the encouragement I can get. This thing's kicking my butt. But, but, but. Life comes, and when that life comes, you want more life. 
God's presence is the only thing you can be full of and still craving more of. And it, and, and it fills you up, and it's unnatural not to hunger for more of God. So if you have lost your hunger, it's time to reclaim it. How many of you have been fasting this week? Okay, lots of us. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate all of you who have been fasting different ways. I appreciate it. Been fasting this week. Fasting is a funny thing because when you fast, like when I fast, it's, it's virtually always, it's virtually always all food and liquids only. Because I can't, I'm not good at fasting anything else. Because if I eat anything, I want to eat everything. <laughs> so it's like I'll just fast everything, and it makes it easier. And so I, I, I would fast. And after about three days, for you guys who have fasted, you know this. After about three days, you lose your appetite. So after like day four, five, six, seven, at that point, you're not actually hungry. Now you might have some physical things or, or whatever, but you're not hungry at that point. You really lose your appetite. You realize you could die with a lost appetite? That you could lose your spiritual appetite, physical appetite, and, and, and eventually starve because you're actually not hungry. As weird as that is. You could lose your spiritual appetite because of uneating, and you actually lose it, and you think you're okay and you're healthy because you're still moving and going. Y'all with me? But, but, but when that happens, all of a sudden, all you have to do is get around the smell of food, like physically. You know what I'm talking about. Pizza is the worst for me. If you want to torture me when I'm fasting, it's pizza. And I'm not even, I'm, I mean, I like pizza, but I'm not like a huge pizza guy. It's just that smell of pizza. And all of a sudden, like, I'm not even hungry. It's day five, six, seven. Today's day seven, I think, right? So, so you're in the middle of a fast. You're not even all that hungry. And all of a sudden, you smell something. And the smell goes, woo. Yeah, I need to eat. <laughs> or if you eat anything, if you have a little bite of anything, it reawakens the appetite. If you have lost your spiritual appetite, get in a place of God's presence where you smell, where you're around God's presence, where something good is being served, and all of a sudden your appetite will come back. The problem with dead Christians is that we hang out with dead Christians. And then when you see an alive Christian, they get on your nerves because look at them, they're over there eating. Yeah, you think you're so spiritual eating. But if you actually just got in that presence for a second, you would go, oh my gosh, there's something I'm missing. I remember that feeling from long ago, and now i got to run back to it. And we're starving ourselves to death for lack of the Holy Spirit. We're starving ourselves to death. It's only in spiritual things that you can be full and still hungry. Have you lost your spiritual appetite? Let me ask you this question. Where were you created to live? Every, everything that is created was created to live inside of a certain environment. We just, again, over Christmas, we flew to um, Wyoming, and when we landed in Denver, Colorado, it was negative 20. I determined really quickly I was not created to live in that kind of environment. Come on, somebody. I'm like, I am a Florida boy. I know nothing about that. But whatever it is, there's certain things that are created to live in water. Fish are in water. Certain things created to live in the air and inside of trees like birds. Certain things that are created to live on the highest of mountaintops and in the, in the, in the oxygen is so low and they can live there, but you put them down below, they wouldn't survive and vice versa. There's certain things that live under the ground. Anything that's created, your own contraptions are meant to live in a certain place, something that you have. Your television works really well in your house, but if you try to take it underwater in the pool and watch it, it's not going to work so well. And you... We're created to live in a certain environment. 
And outside of that environment, you will die. Give it time. You'll eventually starve to death. You'll die. It's like, um, um, anybody, uh, can I borrow a cell phone from somebody? Anybody got a cell phone? Bring it up real fast. Who's got it first? Woo! Jackie, you were close. You were close. You got here first. Oh, look, you left it on for me and everything. Thank you, Jose. It's like, um, like he left it on. I can make a call right now. It's like, um, it's like a cell phone. Especially this one, because this looks a little bit older. This is a Galaxy Note 2, okay? A little bit older. Uh, it's like a cell phone. This works really, really well, as some of you have learned, outside of water. But if I were to put it inside of this fish tank of water, all of a sudden, it doesn't work the way it was intended to work. You got insurance on this, Jose? This is, too, this is too old to be waterproof. Nowadays, some of them are waterproof. This is too old to be waterproof. <laughs> and, 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 and so we, we work really well outside in the environment that we were created to live in, like a phone. In the wrong environment, we actually start to suffocate. A fish does really well in the water. Take the fish out of the water and hold it for a while. It's okay for a minute or two. Maybe three, I'm not sure, maybe depends on the fish. But you keep it out of the water long enough and it'll suffocate because it's out of its intended environment. A cell phone works really good outside of the water because that's its intended environment, but it doesn't work so good inside the water. You say you got insurance. Let's see. Let's see if it still works. It doesn't work so good inside the water. My wife just had to replace her cell phone for this exact reason. <laughs> Doesn't work so good inside the water. You, very similar to a cell phone, you work pretty good outside the water. But how do you work inside the water? You were not created to live inside the water. You will eventually, you will eventually die inside the water. It's still going. You did good, Jose. That's a fake phone, by the way. That was all set up. Some of you are like, I'm never going back to this church again. He's going to destroy my stuff. <laughs> you were created to breathe out here. You go underwater and without some kind of scuba tank or, or some kind of snorkel or something that gives you breath, you can, you can hold your breath for a, a time period. Some of you can hold your breath longer than others, but you will eventually drown because you were not meant for that environment. So what environment were you created to live in? <laughs> That's not a horrible answer. But there was a time before Rise Church, and we're talking about human beings a little bit here, so I want you to see this. You as humans, some people would say, oh, I'm created to live on land or whatever. You as humans, us as humans, were created to live in the Garden of Eden, which is the garden of God's presence. What makes the Garden of Eden Special is not talking animals or beautiful flowers or amazing trees or berries that taste better than other things or whatever those things, running waters and uh, waterfalls. And this is what makes the Garden of Eden, Eden is not any of those things. You can get a lot of those things here, but it's not Eden. What makes the Garden of Eden, Eden is God's presence, that he would walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden. 
What makes Eden Eden is the very presence of God. And you, we, were created to live in the environment of God's presence. Are you all with me? So what happens sometimes is we come to church. It's like taking a fish, putting him back in the water. Some of y'all torture fish because you take them in and out of the tank all the time, right? You put them back in the water. Comes alive. Woo, I can breathe again. I'm good. You come to church. You come into the environment of God's presence. You come into a rise church. And all of a sudden, God is here. And you feel full of life. You feel full of vigor. You walk out ready to storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun. You are ready to go. You come in and life is all around you. Oh, I can breathe again. We led a, a young lady to Jesus years ago who was inside of all kinds of witchcraft and occult and was a witch, and she got radically saved. And the night that we led her to Jesus and performed some deliverance on her years ago with Ada and I, the night that that happened, she stayed up all night because she was so excited. She's so full of life for the first time. And she's so full of, she's so excited. She said she went to Walmart because it was the only thing open 24 hours. <laughs> and she just started walking around Walmart. And she would witness to anybody she could find in Walmart. And she just walked around Walmart all night. And the next morning when Ada and I talked to her and were texting back and forth, she said these words. I feel like I'm breathing for the first time. That's what God's presence does. That's what God's presence does. You feel like you can breathe. I come alive inside of God's presence. So how long can you be outside of God's presence? Well, how long can you hold your breath? Some people may be a little longer than others. But make no mistake, the more time you spend away from God's presence the more you begin to die. Revival brings God's presence. Revival is now. Revival is, is an active and alive church full of God's presence. And so you come into God's presence and it's like your own little aquarium of breathing in what God is doing. And then you walk out and you slowly begin to wither. That's why you need your daily quiet times, your time spent with the Lord, your worship, your time spent in his presence. That's why you have to have that because we've all seen people who have slowly withered away. They've slowly suffocated not realizing the thing they need was not religion, it was the presence of God. We've all seen it. So we begin to die. How long can you hold your breath? How long can you hold your breath? <sighs> we were created to live in the environment of God's presence. This is why you come alive in God's presence. This is the ultimate craving of the soul. We say it's God, but it's really God's presence because that's what God is to us, is him showing up. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who used to say that every man walking into a brothel is looking for God's presence. He just doesn't know what he's looking for. Every person that's putting a needle in their veins right now are looking for God's presence. They just don't know what they're looking for. Every person that's running around in illicit affair after illicit affair is looking for God's presence. They just don't know what they're looking for. Every person who's bound in pornography is looking for God's presence. They just don't know what they're looking for. Every person who has an addiction to drugs or alcohol or performance, they're looking for God's presence. They just don't know what they're looking for, and so they create counterfeits. The entire Bible can be summed up as God's effort to restore man back into his presence. Eric, come on. I'm not going to finish all of this message, and that's okay. Let me give you the third point, and then I'm going to wrap it up. You are a conduit of God's presence to the world. You, through your prayers, pain or problems equal prayer. You become the conduit. You're, you're like the hose that you can put on the top of the water and breathe from the bottom of the water. You become that conduit that when you meet somebody, you invite them to experience God. You invite them to experience the environment they were created to live in, the very environment of God's 
presence. You can change the environments you live in. You can create a culture. You can create an environment wherever you're at that can be the environment of God's presence through worship, through time with him. When people come in contact with me, I don't want them to just come in contact with me. I want them in contact with God's presence, which is always there. Always there. As I'm praying this week and fasting and kind of writing in my own journal, it's on my phone, but writing in my journal, and what am I fasting for? One of the things that I felt I didn't necessarily start with, but I felt like the Lord led me to start praying over as I'm fasting is, is, I, is I want an awareness of the kingdom of God. You realize God is always with you. Always with you. He's never left you. He's always with you. But we're not always aware of it for different reasons. And it's the awareness of the presence of God that allows you to actually walk in the presence of God. That the kingdom is here. It's both future and present. The kingdom is here. And my Christian life in so many ways is really determined by how well can I walk in God's presence. Let me share one story and then we're going to close for the sake of time. Y'all getting anything out of this? Yeah. <clears throat> um, this happened last week. This is very fresh. How does God's presence change things? I, 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 this, this has been a story in the making. You remember last year we did a series on hearing the voice of God? Okay. In our South Shore location, uh, there's an older gentleman in the room uh, who... Uh, uh, Actually, I take that back. He's maybe not as old, but he's a, there's a man in the room who he kind of says to himself, I've never really heard the voice of God clearly. It's never been a part of my life. He says, I want to learn to hear the voice of God. God. God, help me to hear your voice. So he goes home, and God starts leading him. He says, hey, I want you to go talk to your neighbor. I don't want to go talk to my neighbor. God's like, this is me. I'm speaking to you. I want you to go talk to your neighbor. So he finally says, after, after wrestling with it some, he finally says, okay. And he goes over and he starts knocking on the door of his neighbor's house. His neighbor doesn't answer, but the doors start barking. He's like, is this really God? Is this, is this really God going on here? Like, you know, he's not even answering the door. But the dogs start barking and he turns and starts to leave. Something inside of him, God's presence, the Holy Spirit speaking to him. He says, no, 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 go back and keep knocking. So he goes back and he keeps knocking and the guy's, not coming and he kind of feels dumb but the Holy Spirit won't let him stop knocking so he keeps knocking and after knocking for a while finally there's an old man who lives there that he knew and the old man comes to the door and he opens the door and he's got tears in his eye he's like what's going on long story short he had already made a noose in his house and was standing on a chair ready to kill himself his wife of over 50 years had left him he was so distraught and didn't have a future, didn't have a hope. My life is over. Not a believer. He said, my life is over. But a riser, one of you, kept knocking. Kept knocking. So he comes to the door, tells this whole story. They start talking. He says, you need to come to church with me. Comes to church the next week, ends up giving his life to Christ. Yeah, this, this is the cool part of the story, that we're not even quite there yet. So he gives his life to Christ. Meanwhile, he's still walking through a mess because his wife has left him. He's, he's an older gentleman. His whole life, you know, he can't start over in his 80s. So he's, he's done. And he gave his life to Christ. Now he's moving forward and working things out. And I want you to hear this. Last Sunday was the first time his wife, who just recently came back home, came to church with him. 
Sarah. Come on. And she comes from like a kind of a Catholic background, not really going to church, but sort of a Catholic background. Many of you understand because that's a common story in our church. And she comes in and she's in our church and she left and Pastor Pete's talking to her and stuff. And she said, what is that? There's something different about this church. There's something alive. There's something in this place. What is that? I think I feel God's presence for the first time. Come on, y'all. Come on. And she's on this faith journey of giving her life fully to Christ too, even at that age. That's the difference between an alive church and a dead church. You can have a beautiful mansion that's abandoned and everything is left there and all the stuff, but there's no life in it. And you can have a beautiful facility and building and pews and chairs and everything nice, but there's no life in it. The difference is God's presence. That's the difference. If you want to know what the difference is that arise, it's God's presence. And I'm not saying we're the only church with God's presence. Please don't hear that. I'm just saying we are fighting to keep God's presence in a world where that's not always the case. There are other great churches that are similar to us in this regard. I'm not saying we're the only one. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing? If you were moved by this message, we would love to hear your testimony. Please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired. We'll see you next time.